Sensor Global saves lives with automatic compliance and manages smoke alarms, gas and water leak detection with 24-7 remote management. It provides complete control, reduced risks and improved compliance for property managers. To find out more, speak to Anthony Booth or head over to sensorglobal.com. Welcome to the PM Collective, a dynamic hub designed to empower business owners, property managers, and BDMs to excel in their careers. Through access to intimate conversations, cutting-edge video training, mental health support, and unparalleled motivation, our community is the ultimate destination for individuals seeking to elevate their professional lives to new heights. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our next conversation on our weekly podcast, The Art of Property Management. Today, we have a special guest, which uh, a lot of you would probably already know, and and I actually am quite proud to be on the other end of this podcast because I know that this person is the one that is usually interviewing people, and I am privileged to interview him, and that is Darren Hunter from IGT. Welcome, Darren. Hi, Ashley. Really good to be here and absolutely blown away at how good your PM Collective podcast is and and how it's really helping property managers, I wouldn't say just around Australia, but probably spreading into New Zealand and America and probably other countries that you don't even know about. It's leaking in and it's uh, it's doing some good. Thank you. It's getting there. It's, I mean, you've been doing it for a hell of a lot longer than I have been, but it's... Um... It's it's enjoyable and I think it always gives you a job purpose and I think that's um that's what you know you and I are about. So um I'm going to let you do an intro, which I know you don't need an intro, but you probably don't get to do this all the time. So I'm gonna let you have one. Can you for the weirdos that are listening that haven't heard of you before, can you please intro yourself and let us know who you are, where you've been and where you are now? All right. So Darren Hunter, I'm actually a full-time property management trainer and consultant, have been doing this now since 2005. So what does that make it? About 18 years. I'm sorry. I just dated your podcast. Sorry about that. And um, I, I uh, before that, I was a property manager, senior property manager, property inspector, doing all PCRs, routines, final inspections, full-time for 500 properties. Also been a state property manager as well, where I managed 18 offices over South Australian, Northern Territory, regional areas with 28 property managers. That was a lot of fun. Um, My job, what I do, I love what I do. I'm really passionate. I have nightmares that if I ever had to do anything different, I'm scared about that because I love what I do and it's taken me all across the planet. I've been able to speak, uh, you know, in many places, um, five countries now. Um, so I, I guess over that time, I've specialized in a lot of things with nuts and bolts, conflict management, communication, but more so like in time management, uh, just about to release a book actually called Master Your Time Secrets and Fees. So I'm probably, maybe probably more known as the fee guy and teaching people how to overcome those common fee objections like but the other agent is cheaper or if you can match your management fee with the other agent down the road and all the way to respond to that so you can walk away with your full fees. So that that's in a very, very brief nutshell. And I was one of those people uh, a while ago where I said to you, Darren, you can't do that. You can't do this. And um, and I am on the other side doing it. And it's such a it's such a mindset game, isn't it? It's um, it's nothing more than that. Well, we call it the big butts. Yes. So, you know, Ashley, you probably had a big butt back then and other people have a big butt and 
different size, big butts, but it's butt, Darren, I can't do it because, and so I do see myself as a mindset trainer. I'm always challenging people, particularly around getting better fees. And it's the only the mindset that stops you. Once you get that sorted, it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Now, today's topic is one that I'm excited to sort of hear um, from you about, and that is eight reasons to say no to business. And I will admit, I am probably someone that needs a little bit of help in this area. I will be very vulnerable right now. I do take on business that I maybe shouldn't and the re and I the reasons why sometimes I take on business that I shouldn't might be because I have a fear that if that client goes somewhere else, then his whole network will go somewhere else. Or I feel like, oh, we can handle it. Um, that you know, there's reasons like that. And sometimes I have had my team roll their eyes at me to say, Ash, why would you do it? And I and I say to my team, stop being property snobs, you know, like it's good experience for you. And um, I take full responsibility that I need to learn from this. I mean, it's only the very small percentage um, where I, you know, probably should say no, but I definitely need a little bit of um, uh, mentoring in this department. So I'm going to let you kick it off with the eight reasons to say no, and I'll let you start off with the first one. Well, let, let's just get into it first because mm-hmm. that's the solution. We've got to talk about the problem first. The problem is Ashley, have you seen that there's a, a large turnover of property managers in the industry? Have you noticed? Not in my office, but in the industry, yes. And, and not in your office. And congratulations on your stability. And that says a lot about, I know that you really do care for your team, which is fantastic. But regretfully, a lot of red roll bosses aren't like that. And there's a massive turnover in the industry. There's a lot of problems, particularly when you see in Melbourne, I get people message me, Darren, the salaries in Melbourne have gone crazy. You know, 80, 90, $100,000 for a property manager. I'm moving there. And I said, wait, there's a reason for that. Bosses are desperate. It's not that they're generous. They're desperate. There's a massive turnover, particularly in Victoria, legislation issues, VCAT issues, problems. It, it's it's very aggressive, not saying it's not aggressive anywhere else, but there's a massive problem. One of the biggest issues and causes of property managers leaving the industry is always burnout. And I've just written my book, Master Your Time Secrets, and I just want to invite people, you can you can get it now. It's about to be printed, but you can get it right now, order right now. Just go to masteryourtimesecrets.com. Look, the book is free, just pay shipping, but it's all about understanding and how to reduce your stress, how to reduce your burnout. And one of the big issues that causes burnout is, well, I'm going to put it this way. There's two reasons mainly, the two Ds of when a property manager resigns, two Ds that they say to a boss. The two Ds are difficult owners and dickheads. And these eight reasons for not taking on new business is very much not taking on those toxic properties to start with. Now, in my book, I do deal with how to detoxify your rent roll and get rid of these bad owners. If they're on board, they probably are, how to move them out with growth. But this is all about the eight key reasons that when you look at a property, it's either going to help the rent roll or it's going to hurt it. Take on too many properties that hurt it You've got a ball and chain factor which just burns out and pushes you and other people out of the business, increasing the turnover of property managers, causes all sorts of problems. 
You want it to stop. So there's some really good reasons why you want to listen to these eight reasons to say no to new business. And so the first one is we're in it for money, all right? And I know, Ashley, you'd be in it for love um, and probably wouldn't care if you didn't get paid. But, um, and I'm only joking, you're in in it for dollars too. We've all got bills to pay. But at the end of the day, we've got to focus on the property we're taking on. Is it going to pay the bills? And I certainly teach you need to be taking on a minimum three grand a year. So that's management fees, leasing fees, other fees. In a typical year, what would be the minimum? I say to, you know, to, to aim for at least 3000 Now, this isn't a fee lesson, but let's say your minimum might be two and a half. So work out when you look at a property, you know, the rent. What's the the management fee going to be? Don't count GST. What's the management fee going to be? Is the tenant, are you likely to have like a a tenant leaving every two years? Well, then you can account for at least half the leasing fee. And you've got your your PCR fee. You commonly charge it, of course, in WA. You would have, uh, you know, four routine inspections. If you're doing four routine inspections a year, you've got your monthly admin fee and all of that. You can predict and go, in the next 12 months, I should be able to earn X dollars minimum on that property. And so you need to work out what your dollar benchmark is. So if you're looking at a property and it doesn't meet that, why are you taking it on board? There's only so many properties a property manager can carry in a portfolio, in a bucket, if you want to call it. And so you want to make earning as much as possible. Can I stop on this one? And I'm, I'm only bringing it up because others might bring it up as well. So I absolutely agree. Like I know what my figure is and um, and what it needs to be. But, oh, hold on. I, I just did actually. That was really bad, wasn't it? I just used the word but. Oh, and- Aaron, that's all right. It's cool. <laughs> I, and I, look, I, please understand I'm controversial and I poke people with my words to bring out the big butt. So it's cool. Okay. I just, I didn't actually, that wasn't actually me doing that on purpose. It was me actually doing that by accident. Um. But what if the owner has like 10 properties and it's like you want to take all 10 properties, but it falls a little bit below, you know, you sort of want to take it. And as a coach, would you say to me in that situation, Ash, stay true? Or is there anything else I should consider in that? Or are there any reasons why you might fluctuate a little bit? Well, I guess my feelings are you want to earn as much as you can out of that bucket, which is a maximum amount of properties that property manager can carry. Because they can't, you know, let's just say you're going to take 10 properties on, give them a wonderful discount, but that's 10% capacity of that bucket. You can't earn anything more out of that. So if we're going to take on the workload because we want the roofs and the front doors, um, but now we're earning, earning seven properties worth of income, you've now lowered the earning capacity of your bucket. Because there's only so much that property manager can carry. So I'm just saying to people, be really, really careful. Are you in it for the workload? Are you in it for racing to capacity of your portfolio workload as soon as you can before you go, right, I have to go and get another bucket, which is going to cost me a property manager, desk costs, internet costs, insurance costs, blah, blah. There's a cost involved to each portfolio. You want to maximize the income out of those, for example, 100 properties of that property manager manages maximum income, not not filling it as quick as you can with workplace. Does, it, does that make sense? So yeah. it, it's, it's trying to get, to me, it's a maximum amount of earning power that you can get 
out of that particular portfolio that that property manager can manage. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so I mean, ultimately, like I, I think my mind knows that. And I guess for me, it probably would depend on where I am in my growth. So, for example, I've just hired a new team member who's on the growth portfolio. So she's got a very low number. So part of me sort of wants to build that up and then worry about uh, because like I mean I'm not saying that it's like it would be stupidly low but it wouldn't maybe it wouldn't reach that that minimum that I probably should we might be a little bit short but in my mind I'm thinking oh I'd probably take it on and then in 12 months do a check of the whole portfolio and then clean it up a little bit whether that's right or wrong I'm just talking I, 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 I think yeah. there's no right or wrong here yeah. I guess uh, there was a really good quote I saw from um Tom Panos recently, and he said it's not about turnover, it's about leftover. Mm. It's not about simply getting the business on board and breaking even a little bit more. That's turnover because we've all got bills to pay. And it really, for on average, for every dollar that is earned in fee income, 80% is taken up in expenses. That's turnover. So it's not about focusing on the turnover. It's about focusing on the leftover. So if it's going to cost you it's probably about sixteen to seventeen hundred dollars a year now. It costs yeah. in Perth or any staffed agency to manage one property. And so, if you're earning eighteen hundred dollars in total fee income, you're going to go woohoo! We got a roof in the front door. No, you're only earning hundred dollars. And if yeah. that's a difficult owner, it, it see this is that's that's just my angle that I'm taking. It's all about leftover and profitability as opposed to turnover. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know I have done this exercise with six other business owners in Perth. So the portfolios range between 500 and 1,000 doors. And it was an average, actually it was an average of 1,200 to 1,500 with 1,500 per property being probably the right amount. So, yeah. um, you yeah. know, can you say as a little bit of a base? I did that exercise about 12 months ago. Yeah. So. And, and I did that exercise in Perth twice about three years ago. It came out at $1,500. There's that. Mm. I just added those extra numbers on. It because of the inflation that's happened since then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's good. And, and like I said, I'm, the only reason why I bring up sort of my thoughts as well is just because there'll be some other people that also have that same thought. So if you're thinking that, you are not alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no problem. That's fine. Well, number two, so this one's a lot more easier. That's probably a little bit complicated knowing your numbers, but the next one is really easy. Rent level, you know, so what's the minimum rent before you say no? And there are certain suburbs in Perth or Adelaide or Sydney or whatever that if you go below a certain rent threshold, you're going into lower socio, okay? And that means the more lower you go into that type of housing and that demographic, the higher the social problems, the higher the chance that that lower rent's not even going to get paid the more touch time in dealing with issues on the tenancy and all of those sort of things. So it increases your workload, but lowers your income. And so there really needs to be a cutoff point. And I just recommend here, it, it, it does dovetail very neatly into the first point about what's the minimum fee income you want to earn, because that rent level does determine how much it's going to be because traditionally we're a percentage-based management fee and letting fee or leasing fee and lease renewal fees, all of that tend to be based on a week's currency. So that can greatly affect how much income you're bringing in. But so for example, in um, in, in Perth, 
uh, you know, there's suburbs like Armadale where a lot of property managers may refuse to to go, or in Adelaide, it's in the northern suburbs, Elizabeth, or or you know, and and so what is that rent level threshold before you should say no? Because it doesn't fit into number one with the fee commission. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Inspect Real Estate, or IRE, is an Australian-based software company that is passionate about creating quality, customised solutions for agents, tenants, buyers, and property owners, designed by agents for agents, because we care. IRE has now processed more than 108 million inquiries and is currently being used by thousands of industry leaders. There are many time-saving products from booking and managing inspections within our flagship product ROL, creating and managing applications with ToApply and AppChecker, and tracking keys with Keyware, through to listing on Inspect Real Estate's free property portal, Tenant App, plus so much more. Visit inspectrealestate.com.au or give us a call on 1300 934 721. And so on that, so yes, you can work out what that minimum would be based on the financials. And is it would it be the wrong tactic to look at your current portfolio? So if I was to look at my current portfolio and say that my average rent on at our office is $480 per week. So from now on, I'm not going to do anything less than that because I want to keep my average high. Would that be a way that you can work it out? You, you can certainly look at that. Or you may look at, okay, I'm going to bring two quality property, every two quality properties that I bring in at $480 a week or more, I will cut loose one property that's at $450 or $440. And your average, your average rent will go up. Yeah. And Every time that average rent goes up, guess what else goes up? Your rent roll value goes up. It's all, it all connects in, into the big machine of making sure our average management fee is on the way up because we haven't all got full management fees, right? We've done those little discounts here and there. Uh, and we want to move that up. We want to move our average rent up. We want to move our average income per property per month up. There's all these numbers here that we want to be moving up and they all turn into leftover profitability and not just turnover. And this is a very, very good reminder for those businesses that are having issues hiring new staff. This is actually probably what I would recommend one of the best exercises to do because you can actually grow your portfolio um, and the numbers in your portfolio without actually growing your team. So if you Correct. are struggling with finding someone, maybe have a look at how you can create a better quality uh, portfolio where you're managing sort of less properties, all the same properties, but with uh, the higher revenue. Yeah. And I, I actually call it detoxing the rent roll. It is a chapter in my new book, Master Your Time Secrets. Just go to masteryourtimesecrets.com for that book. Um, I'm, and I apologize if I've mentioned it before. I just thought I'd forgotten to mention that. The URL. Let's move on. So now distance. Okay, so distance is drive time. Okay, how far away from the office? And every now and then you get, ah, oh, but Darren, I've got a property manager that lives 40 minutes drive away or an hour's drive away. It's okay for me to put properties there. And I'm thinking, are you counting on that property manager to be around forever? Um, maybe if it was near your house, maybe. But anyway, here's my point. Ashley, um, Who's your favorite property manager? Oh, actually, that's that's a bad question. Name me a property manager in your office. Uh, Casey. 
Casey, all right. So I say to Casey, because let's say she's a little bit stressed and she needs a little bit of time out and stuff like that. Casey, I tell you what, let's um, let's just give you a break. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you two hours a day off. What we want you to do, take your chair, take it out to the car park or, you know, take you down to that wonderful little cafe you got there in Angelo Street. You know, you've got a few good cafes around. Um, the Secret Garden. Let's go down to the Secret Garden and sit there. You can have a cup of coffee, no problem. Um, you're allowed to take and make phone calls, no worries. But two hours a day, you got to sit in that beautiful place, smell the roses, enjoy the air, and just relax for two hours a day for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday each week um, to de-stress. How is she going to be? She does two hours a day. Well, I don't know if she's going to be more stressed or less stressed. Well, we, uh, it, it, so if she's going to get more stressed, that's the point I'm making. Why yeah. is she going to get more stressed? Because she's wasting time. She's wasting time. But a lot of property managers don't have a problem sitting in a car for two hours a day. Yeah. Or the, and, and so I remember a number of years ago with a rent roll I was managing, we had a property manager. We did a time and motion study and we had a anything in the metro area will do. All right. And so from Adelaide North, to Adelaide South, from tippy top to tippy bottom was two hours drive and anything in between. And so we did a time and motion study and she was stressed and 26% of her time was sitting on a chair in a car. So travel to a property is downtime. It's dead task time. You can't effectively be managing tasks and effectively managing when you're sitting on a chair. And so we've got to be very careful around the distances that we're driving to property. So what I do as a guide here, don't take on anything, anything more than 30 minutes drive. And then it's, well, Darren, I've got an owner that's got a property, you know, in Geraldton or Albany or, you know, just crazy distances. And I hear it. I hear it with property managers in Adelaide that have got properties four hours drive away. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you're doing triple fees? Oh, no, it's actually less rent and we're doing more. It's just mindless is that they're just taking on anything with a roof and a front door without distances taken into account. Now, one or two long-distance properties, 30 minutes drive an hour, maybe okay. Start adding those on, it's like a property manager sitting in your car park or in a garden for two hours a day and doing nothing. It's going to cause problems. It's, <laughs> this is the reason why I needed to have this uh, do this podcast today. So I struggled with that because we do all over Perth and we are, the property managers are geographically based. But that word again, I had a client that said, can you do a property in this area? And I'm like, oh, it's just one suburb along. And that has happened three times. And now I'm managing some properties three suburbs away than where I originally wanted. So those boundaries have shifted because it's it's me just going, oh, it's it's only five minutes away from that other property, but it's consistently pushing that boundary, which is my fault, and not just sticking to the suburbs. And even if that new manager comes in, it's only a couple of minutes away, I'm sorry, we don't manage that area. And gosh, I find that difficult. Yeah, that, that's cool. And, and so just to be aware that every yeah. minute of travel time is dead task time. They can't effectively do it. They can take phone calls and stuff, but it's dead time sitting on a chair. Okay. So moving on, location. So for example, there are certain in regional areas, regional towns, there's certain streets that property managers fear to tread. 
and in cities, there's suburbs where property managers shouldn't go because it's just a lot of problems. Generally, a lower socio, low demographic suburbs and so forth. Um, and there is in lower demographic areas, there's worse suburbs and others as well. And I remember in, in Adelaide with a rent roll, we were managing there were certain suburbs we just blacklisted. We had a, a list of about six or seven that we're just not going to manage property in those suburbs because there are too many problems. And here is another thing too. In those areas, if a good tenant doesn't want to rent in those areas, why do you want to manage it? And that's a good question to any one of these things. When you're looking at a property and considering, is this going to help my rent roll or is going to hurt it? If a good tenant doesn't want to live there, why do you want to take it? Is it just you want turnover? Do you just want workload where you can smash yourself silly? Or let's just take care on the sort of choices that we're making at the new business end. And look, this list here, you're probably going to say no to one in 10 or one in 15. It's no big deal, you know, but it's making sure that we only have a healthy rent roll where property managers are happy to, to dwell in and it's not going to become an environment unfit for human habitation like the atmosphere on Mars, where they're just going to get poisoned um, and not realizing that there is poisonous water in the drinking water. You know, it's, it's yeah, that's what toxic rent rolls can do. All right, moving on. Next one is, so we said location. So in regional areas, it's streets. Uh, Dennis used to tell me there was four streets in Nara where he was a BDM, all had a queue in front. And so he wasn't allowed to touch the four streets with a queue. And that was his role. And it, it, I think once he did actually get a property and the property managers were so angry at him, we don't manage property in those streets um, for good reason. Okay, next one's property type. So, Ashley, driving down the, uh, and I'm sorry, I just keep on coming back to Perth, but I'm driving down the Quinana Highway, right, and leaving South Perth, and I look on, driving south, I look on the left, and there's a big block of flats. And, you know, and it's these sort of properties here, flats and units, and what type of tenant is that dwelling or that type going to attract? And if that type of tenant that it typically attracts isn't going to be good, why do we need to take it on? Now, it's probably not going to fit um, the amount of fee commission that we want, and it's probably not going to fit the rent level, and it might be in a bad location as well. But we're talking about flats. We're talking about units, or we're talking about a property that was once owned by government housing, where only a lower socioeconomic tenant may want to rent it, or a low-end tenant that we're going to have social problems with, okay, or impact with. So, but having said that, in South Perth, there's also beautiful apartment blocks, and apartments are only going to attract a certain type of tenant, but that type of tenant is going to be cool. So. Um, the property type, what's the pro type of property we're not going to take on? So for me, it was, it was units and flats in South Australia. We had um, ex-government housing called semis. They're built like a brick crap house. Um, they're bomb-proof practically, um, and they only attract a certain type of demographic generally. And so we blacklisted those or anything that was ex-government housing that only typically attract lower socios. So that were our rules. Your rules may be different. All right, next one. We're up to number five. That was, sorry, that was five. Now, number six, this is a really easy one, really easy one that I'm sure most property managers are cool with, but if it's low quality um, in repair, why do you want to take it on? Now, 
it could be the owner's just bought it and it's in disrepair and he's going to spend 30 grand on it. Happy days. It's going to change, right? But if it's in disrepair and it has been in disrepair for a long time, it's likely to stay in disrepair no matter what promises are given. And again, it comes down to is a good tenant going to want to live there or not? And on this note, this is where if you're doing the new management appraisal and you could probably test the waters to see whether it's the owner that's the issue or whether, or whether they're willing to do the repairs or not. But by going in and doing an appraisal and saying, listen, would you be prepared to paint the property and redo the floors and then seeing what their response is would probably, would that be right? And that would I'd tell yeah. you whether this is going yeah, to yeah. be a an owner we want to work with or not. Because yeah. if the owner said, oh, absolutely, I've put aside this much money, I, you know, I'm happy to do what you recommend, tick, that's no worries. Yeah. But if the owner goes, well, surely you could find someone who'd rent it as is. It's a rental crisis. Well, then you'd be like, hmm. Maybe not. Yeah, 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 for sure. And um, uh, but a property does tend to. If the owner's had it for a while, it, it's like you know, a, a, a person's children tells them about the parents, right? Uh, a person's pets and the pets' behaviour tells them about the parents, right? The house tells you about the owner's mindset because the house represents what they want and what their values are. And if they don't value keeping the property in a good state of repair because they want to screw every cent out of it as they can and not put anything back, the house will show that or the property will show that, all right? And and also there's a big mistake out there of taking property sight unseen. And I'll just give you my greatest mistake here. I had an owner, we were managing a property and they called me up one day, hey, Darren, I've got a second property that you don't know about. I want you to manage it. I, and I was managing this person's other property for a couple of years, and it was okay. It wasn't brilliant. It was just a bread and butter rental, you know, you know, mid-road, um, did the job. And um, and I said, all right, that's fine. And she said, Darren, look, I've got a difficult tenant at the moment. He's not paying his rent. Can you go and sort it? Okay, no worries. I can sort it out for you. Um, did the um, the management agreement by fax, <laughs> you know, the thermal fax, you know, back in those days. Do you remember those days, Ashley? Um, sure. Just, I don't know, I was thinking, I was just, I'm pushing my luck here by saying that. And anyway, so, um, and of course, I've got my management agreement. I've got the right to manage it. Okay, serve the letter on the tenant. Go out there, uh, you know, that they got to pay the rent. Go and do an initial in, uh, routine inspection because there's no ingoing inspection or PCR on it. And I just stood out the front and I went, oh, crap. What have I done? This place is a dump. It is terrible. And when I did my routine inspection, it was bar none, the worst property I've ever seen. And now I was managing it. And I called up the owner and I actually said, I, I, I want to withdraw management. This is not right. And the tenant's refusing to pay the rent because you can practically, you know, you've got free skylights coming through the ceiling with ceiling daylight through the cracks. And the tenant's saying, until this is repaired and that I've got hot water and that's repaired and I've got a light that works in this bedroom. I'm not paying rent. I'm thinking I can't, I can't, I can't compete with this. You know, tenants right. <laughs> and I learned my lesson. Don't take a property without looking at it first. So okay, I'm glad this has come up because a question I um ran a BDM club for six months and I had um one of the BDMs ask me this question and it actually hadn't come up. So I'll ask you. She said to me, if you're taking a new management transfer from another real estate agent, 
um, she goes, she was talking about giving notice to the existing tenants. You can get in there and do an appraisal and all of that. And I said to her, you know, I don't think in my, you know, 20 odd years, I have ever gone in and appraised and physically checked the property when it was a handover from another agent. And, you know, you're talking about not taking properties on that that you haven't seen. What would be your response to that situation or to that question? About going in there and meeting the tenant. Yeah, like um, an owner that wants to handle the situation. Over. Well, I, I, I'm going to leave this actually because I know I've got eight reasons, but I've got a couple more added on. All right. And that's all about not taking other people's monkeys on. All right. And we're going to yeah. talk about that. So it's okay. We can leave that comment for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but because, you know, after you've done a number of years, there's probably an extra couple of things you probably want to add on to the eight things. So it's really, I've got 10. But, you know, the last two are sort of my opinion. You know, the lucky number. Yeah, that's all right. Okay, so, okay, the next one, we just talked about property quality. Okay, it's going to be in a reasonable to good state of repair. All right, again, look, at the end of the day, the legislation is so tough now. 20 years ago, we probably got away with it. But, you know, why should we why should we manage properties that are in a poor state of repair? You know, there's so many issues and problems and hassles that comes with it. And we just want to do the right thing according to the Residential Tenancies Act. So, all right, next one is C-class landlords. And one of my favourite sayings is, um, you know, C-class landlords are like a packet of cigarettes and they'll take years off your life. And there are seven, um, seven characteristics of a C-class landlord that I just rattle off. And I could spend an hour talking about these, but we're going to take a few seconds. Number one, over-demanding and unreasonable. They just, you call them up with good news. Mr. Owner, we've spent weeks and weeks and weeks finding a quality tenant from, we've actually got a good tenant moving in and they just are about bloody time. You know, and they just peel over your parade. They dump on you emotionally. They can control you. They bully you. They can cause all sorts of problems. Characteristic number two is they like to take up lots of your time and send you five-page love letter emails and you, you, you just you get off the phone to a normal owner and it's like five minutes, but this guy's an hour and he just done my head in and it's just wading through a swamp and it, it, it's very, very difficult. Taking up too much of your time with frivolous requests and I've just driven past and the tenant didn't mow that lawn last weekend or the, 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 you know, the rubbish collection from the council was two days ago and their wheelie bin is still out and just stuff like this, just frivolous stuff. Um, the next one um, is uh, number three is whatever the rent is, the market rent that a good tenant will pay, well, they want more, which means now we're not going to attract good tenants because good tenants are market savvy. And so above market rents, unreasonable rents above market, um, not talking a little bit, a lot. So it's just going to stay vacant or it's only going to attract the type of tenants we wouldn't want anyway, which are the people that say they'll pay double rent, but in fact will pay nothing. So uh, the next one is whatever your fees are, well, they can't help themselves, but they just got to have a discount because you're an agent, your fees are negotiable, we must have a discount. And they just spend a lot of time focusing on fees, are very fee-focused and have a real problem around that, particularly with your WA property management. Go WA, property management fee paradise. Okay, next one is um, the next characteristic is uh, they just won't put little to no money into the property for repairs. So no upkeep. The property, like any investment, needs to have money put into it to keep it to a standard. They don't believe that. It's all about all the money coming out of it. Gradually, the property just gets very worn out, run down, and a good tenant doesn't want to rent there. 
Okay, the next one after that is, well, it's just a crap property that tends to attract a crap tenant. Um, And the next characteristic is they just tend to, a lot of the time, have a low-rent property. So with low rent, with a discount, it's just bad all around. Um, so there's your uh, your seven characteristics of what makes a, a C-class landlord. And we've really got to, you know, these are the ones that burn out our staff. They're the ones that we wake up at three in the morning um, at that, we can call it the property manager witching hour. At three o'clock when our eyes open, we're in a cold sweat and our mind is swimming with anxiety. It's usually we're thinking about these owners. And and I don't know, Ashley, can you relate to that? Well, I was just going to say, so I'm not being a um, a very nice person by telling my team that they're character building clients. You know, you're all going to have one or two on your portfolio to keep you on your toes. <laughs> And other managers say, "Feeling is fine." (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, no, I and and like, gosh, I feel like I should be paying you to for a consultant, you know, for a consultancy fee for an hour because I'm listening to you. And each of these strategies are things that I needed that little reminder. And I'm not saying that I've got a lot of them, but I've definitely got a couple in each section. Now, as a fee expert, and I'm working with rent rolls to maximize fees, when we increase fees, we always have a small loss. When I do the autopsy, and let's say we've lost 10 properties, I promise you at least 80 to 70% of those are C-class landlords. And the average income for the portfolio per property, usually these ones are at half. So though we may have lost 10 properties, we actually lost five properties or six properties of income. Yeah. So it, it it it's it, it's amazing how a negative effect that C class landlords have. I'm really passionate about detoxifying our rent roll, getting them out. Um, and my book talks about you know every two or three quality properties that tick these boxes that we're talking about. Just get rid of one or two, and it's called the worst first hit list. So you sit down with the team. You know who's the worst first, and this is you know property type, it's distance, it's location, it's uh, quality, it's a C-class landlord, and you know, put, you put a, a D for distance next to that property if it's more than 30 minutes. If it's a, um, a low rent level, put LR next to it. If, um, if, if it's a bad property type, put a T there if it doesn't meet the property type. And if some of these properties on this list start getting the alphabet in a lots, of, lots of letters next to it because it doesn't meet this criteria five or six times over, well, what's the worst first? Put it on the list. What's the second worst? Put it on the list. Come up with your 20 worst first properties. And then for every three quality properties you bring on board, you can strike, you know, get permission to sack number one and then sack number two. I like that alphabet um, mentality. Now, this is completely off the record. I'm not off the record because it's a podcast. It's on the record, all right? It's on the record. And this is just for all those listeners listening, just to wake you, you know, not, not wake you up a bit, but just give you a bit of a laugh. It reminds me of someone who said to me when you're dating that you you have, like, you know, maybe a new boyfriend's name in your phone and every time he pisses you off, you take a letter off his name until it's like, hang man, there's no letters left and um, you get rid of him. And anyway, that reminded me of that technique which so completely weird to mention it but it just reminded me that, that's how i did business objects we wrote down all these letters you know for all of the criteria that we've been through and if something got a long list of letters 
it's a bad property. So the worst first 20 properties there, and it's a great rent roll growth strategy because you're just motivating. Now, hey, have we got two quality properties on board? Woohoo! Let's go sack Mr. Whatever his name is. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think I'm actually going to do that with my team. I think that's actually really good. And I think that they, the team will feel quite empowered by um, being able to have some, you know, authority to actually do that so that they're doing it and then reporting it back to me so that I can see where it's at. So I actually will do that. Um, can I just quickly interrupt with a quick question? Um, I know you've still got a few more to go, but when going through these um, these strategies, is it the like the business owner that sort of decides where all these boundaries are or would it be the property managers or is it a team effort like what would if you were going into an office who um would you let the yeah, the business owner or the property managers or both make that criteria it's really got to be bosses and property managers bosses needs to be on board they need to listen to this podcast as the reasons why uh, i think a lot of bosses are getting the message now when they can't find property managers anymore because they don't want to do the job or the pay is too low these are the things that hurt your property manager investment bosses, okay? So it is, it's a collaboration with bosses and the team working together, the bosses that aren't just focused on sales and the property management's not just a byproduct of the sales process like toxic waste. You can hear my sarcasm coming through there. But it's a boss that's keenly interested in the welfare of the rent roll, welfare of the staff, the welfare of the quality of what's on the, on the portfolio, working together. But we're talking about bringing in quality, then getting rid of crap. So you've got to bring in the quality first. You don't just get rid of the crap without bringing the, the, the quality in. And I have this image of a, a, a rainwater tank, you know, and it, it, it's just a dirty rainwater tank. How are we going to get rid of the dirt? Well, let's let's undo the tap at the bottom and let the sludge out, let some sludge out, and then clean water on the top. And then again, sludge out at the bottom, clean water on the top. And over a period of time, we're going to have crystal clear drinking water. So we've got to detoxify the rent robber, getting the poisons out, and one by one, identifying with the with the letters, you know, D for distance and T for type and all of that and identifying the crap ones and then replace them with quality, all righty? And your property managers are just going to love you. Every time you get rid of a crappy owner, your property managers are thinking, my boss cares. Mm. My boss cares about my welfare by willing to be get, get rid of business. But if the boss says, nah, they might want to sell one day, the the boss is giving a silent message, I don't care. And it just adds to the nail in the coffin for that property manager to come in and actually, I, I, you don't have this too often, but a lot of bosses have nightmares about what I'm about to say. And at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, the property manager comes in and looks at the boss and says, hey, you got a minute? I just want to chat. Hey, can, we just, can we just go into your office and, and shut the door? And the boss is going, because this is what they've had nightmares about is a quality property manager leaving. And once that conversation starts and they've got death in their eyes, you know what death looks like? It's I've made a decision. I'm already going. You can't bring them back from the dead. Now, you can try and sit down and go, oh, well, I'll give you more and I'll do this and do that. And if you're able to get them to change their mind, well, probably two weeks later, they're right back to that same place again. They're gone. And so this is all about preventing them having that unnecessary conversation or extending their lifespan with the agency by putting these things into place. And that's why it's important to listen to this stuff. Anyway, number eight, the F word. You know what the F word is, Ashley? Oh, <clears throat> I'll have a guess. Furniture. 
So, oh, no, well, that was not the word I, um, word I was thinking. It's a phoenix show. So, uh, okay, let's just qualify ourselves. If we're not doing Airbnb, all righty, we're not doing short-term accommodation, not doing student accommodation, um, and we're not doing holiday accommodation because those types of accommodation needs furniture. We're talking about properties in the, in the, in the burbs where we're going to have tenants for 12 months, two years, three years. Furniture is a hindrance. And there's so many complications that comes with furniture. So anything more than a dishwasher, you know, we're going to get in the lounge suites and beds and bedding and crockery and cutlery and all this crazy stuff. It just causes a problem. Oh, my goodness me. When I was managing 28 property managers and, you know, one group of properties we had in Catherine, Northern Territory, um, these is little units with a with furniture in a microwave. I remember microwaves going missing, and I have to I have to authorize checks to reimburse the owner because the property manager missed it, and it just added a whole layer of complications that in residential property management, traditional property management, we really don't need. So I hope I've qualified myself pretty much there. Yeah, and, and also it, furnished properties typically would be more turnover as well, which is more work. So Yeah, and, and you know, far out. We, we've got a, a person speaking at our conference coming up, the IGT um, conference on the Gold, Show, Gold Coast, IGT 2023. We're bringing in a speaker from New Zealand who won the contract for the America's Cup teams. When they're racing in Auckland, she was required to go get them their corporate accommodation. And the stories that she's got and the amazing things that she achieved, she won the America's Cup. So she'll be talking on that. But that type of corporate accommodation, all of that, we're not talking about that sort of thing. We're talking about average properties in the suburbs that the average traditional rent roll deals with. And I think everyone understands what I'm talking about. So all right, next two, I'm going to add on. This is my experience over many, many, many years. And when I come across property managers 20 years, 30 years plus, they tend to have these same sort of things too that they have rules on because of the 20 years or 30 years behind them of pain. And so the first one is getting into lease, not doing leasing only. And and this is this is more of opinion, okay? This is my opinion. Uh, I, I'm certainly, if people want to do leasing only, it's up to them. And if you are going to do leasing only, charge double, all right? So if your normal letting fee is two weeks rent, well, make it four weeks rent, all right? And you'll get it, okay? Uh, if you, if you like, Just do double, all right, if you're going to do it. Otherwise, there's a couple of reasons that I say to people, the understand is that, one, you're giving away a good tenant, all right, when you could have them for your rent roll, all right? You deserve the good tenant in your full-time management. And giving them that. But here is the biggest reason why. So, Ashley, a tenant gets behind in the rent. What's your first step of action at what day in the office? When is it first day, second day, third day? When do you take action? Um, I think our automation happens on day one, and then our property managers step in with a more, you know, phone call type thing on day three. Okay. Day one, day three. But with the self-managing owner, he might his first step of implementation or action is day 30. Okay. All right. Big difference. Early intervention, stamping on the cigarette butt while it's still smoldering, puts out the fire even before it starts. Or wait for the fire up and then while the house is on fire and the mount is so 30 days, it could be too late. Whereas one day, three days, you're right on top of it. And so same tenant different scenario and so therefore the owner ends up with evicting the tenant but now not only does he think he had a bad tenant he thinks he had a bad agent when 
it was his lack of uh, early intervention. So that's an example, again, where leasing, lease, doing leasing only can cause a problem, all righty? The last thing now is not taking on other people's monkeys. And what I mean by that is, is if an owner comes in and my tenant's four months behind in the rent, I want you to go and fix it. Um, usually there's a lot of work involved. Uh, the tenant may just shoot through right away. Now you've got to clean up the property with a final inspection, all the work to get it, and a lot of work for very, very little income, a lot of stress and a lot of issues. So um, now what was your question again? If you can yeah. just remember me again. Uh, and, this has definitely happened, actually happened once to me and I learnt my lesson where I took over a management from another agent and when I picked up the file and the ledger, uh, the tenant was in six months of arrears and yet no one had told me and I guess back then I thought like that is not something that I thought to even ask because it never happened to me and I thought, you know, surely that's something as a owner you would have told me before I took over the file. So I was so like I know it sounds silly, but you know, asking that question of is your where's your tenant rent, rent up to date or is it up to date? But the um, the other BDM that had the question was um, when taking on a management from another office. You know, you're sort of saying how it's important to go into the property to have a look. But when I've taken over managements from other offices. I actually have never gone in and looked at the property first and got access because generally what happens is that process, um, it's quite private. You know, the new the owners called you, they don't want you to say anything. You know, you can't go in and get access yet to the property because they haven't even told their property manager. It's all a bit of an awkward um, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? So, so this medium had asked me, "How do you manage that?" And I just said to her, "Listen, I've never gone in and physically checked a property that was coming from another agent, so I couldn't answer it." Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I understand your question now. So, I guess you know your issue um, is experience, okay, and not asking the question about that's just experience, right? You learnt your lesson. You won't make the same mistake again. Um, with regards to looking at the property, I guess that comes down to experience as well. Can you drive past and have a look on Google Earth, have a look at the property that way, um, look at Street View as well, um, look at all the factors here that tell you, is this going to be something you can deal with and it's going to be okay and, and say yes to and then go and do your inspections. And I get it, you may not be able to look through. You're just going to have to look at all of the signs together and make a decision based on that information. It's a bit like, you know, you, you're at an open inspection, you meet a tenant and you notice the car that they're driving is, you know, beat up and hasn't been washed in five years and it's full of rubbish. You know, you then drive past the outside of their property because they've given you the address on the application and you see that it's just full of rubbish and all of that. You know, there's certain signs that added up can you actually paint you a very accurate picture that once you step into there, it's going to, you know, it's a problem or it's not. Um, you may be able to get a copy of the, the PCR, the ingoing inspection, what? photos, all of those sort of things to judge, yeah, should we do this or should we not? Yeah, and I think that would probably, that's where I think I might give her some recommendations is that when taking on a property from another agent, ask for a copy of the tenant ledger, the last routine inspection and the property condition report, actually, and maybe even the lease as well, so that you can have a look and, and also just make sure that all the documents they've got are you know, done properly, good, and it'll be an easy, because if the owner says, oh, you know, well, if you look at a ledger and it's no good, then that's one thing. But if the um, if the owner goes, oh, actually, we don't have a lease agreement because it's just been 
you know, casual or whatever, then at least uh, by asking those questions, those little alarm bells will come up as well. So I might suggest that to her. But funny, like I guess in all my experience, I've never actually done that myself, but I've also never really had too many bad experiences either. But I think it's a very, very good tip um, and something that I should implement. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I think having a list of questions is a good thing, but your experience is going to tell you whether you should or shouldn't. Gather as much information as you can to make a qualified choice um, and, you know, what what you're going to be stepping into. So I I guess one of my horror stories is I took out a property once where a tenant was several months behind and he was a local tattoo artist uh, at the local tattoo parlour. And we walked into the tattoo parlour to say his name was Grizz, as in Grizzly Bear, Grizz. Um, and Grizz, uh, we're taking over management of your property. And we had to run out of that place with him screaming abuse, running to go grab a baseball bat um, and ran out with the other property manager. And I looked at and I said, we should never have taken this on. This is too dangerous. And we handed the management back immediately. Yeah. Because uh, no one's life. And 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 some years later, I ended up inheriting a management with that guy in it and doing routine inspections. And he always had that that axe handle next to the door. Whenever you see someone with a baseball bat or an axe handle parked near a door, they're trying to avoid certain types of people that if you don't get involved in crime, you won't have a problem with. So that should be that should be the eleventh strategy. <laughs> look out for axe and baseball bat at front door. Oh, look, and, and and baseball bats with nails in them and things like that. You know, it just, you know, yeah, it's it's an interesting job, property management. Let's put it that way. It is, and you know, as 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 much experience as I've as I have, and you know, I've been very lucky to have some really good success. The, these strategies are something that you always need refreshers on because I haven't had a refresher on this for a few years now and I needed to have a refresher on that and now I will absolutely be going back to my team and doing um, those labels I think is a really good I think the team will actually really enjoy that um, and so I, yeah I feel like this is something definitely sort of every one or two years I don't care how much experience you've got you need to re-look at these especially when you've got new team make sure everyone knows them and everyone's on board with it as well because property managers you know are also responsible for the growth coming in to their business so they need to know what the rules are so if one of the existing owners asks about managing another property they know what the guidelines are so this is an everybody problem and not just a bdm and business owner problem Yeah, I'm just going to invite people, if you want a list of the eight things, the criteria, I've got it on a Word document, you can take that eight criteria and tailor it for your business. So you've got your own policy about what you'll take on and what you won't. Just email me, darren at IGT, as as an Inspire Growth Training at IGT Mail, not mail as in boy, um, mailmail.com. So darren at IGTmail.com, email me eight reasons to say no or PM collective or something like that. That way I know that you listen to the podcast. I know what you're after and I'll just send out the the one page word doc that you can use nice and easy. 
That's wonderful. And stick that up on your desk and remind yourself every day, which is what I'm going to need to do. Darren, it's an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it so much, your time. Um, I am very thankful to have that refresher for me. And um, I know that this um, podcast is, you know, we don't like to date and time things, but um, always do keep an eye out for the training that um, IGT do. They're doing national tours. They do um, a lot of work in all states around Australia and also obviously the world as well. Um, So if you are looking for some inspiration, go check out their stuff and see when they are in your area next no worries thank you ash Grout Guy are leading experts in regrouting, waterproofing and tiling services nationwide. Property managers find comfort in their 10-year waterproof warranty on all full shower regrouts. Visit thegroutguy.com.au to rejuvenate your property's tiles and grout now.